Good morning, EHC family. Shelly and I are up here in Michigan visiting my oldest daughter, Tori, and spending some time with her. She found some incredibly cheap tickets uh, through the airlines, and I figured out why. It's because nobody wants to come to Michigan in the middle of February. There's like eight or ten inches of snow out there. No joke. Oh my gosh. I don't know what's going on, but... We were the suckers. Here we are, but we're spending a great time with Tori and having a lot of fun. So I know you guys are having a great service. Grab your Bible apps, grab your scriptures, and we're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 2 in just a minute or two. For those of you who do not know much about him, Eric in his other life um, is a very successful guy. He actually is a regional director of safety for Lennar Homes, which is one of the largest home builders, I believe it's the second largest home builder in uh, America. And so he is really somebody who's ascended the ladder. And if you don't know kind of what his job entails, he is a guy who helps to set a plan for a number of different direct reports. I mean, I think he's got over 15 direct reports in his job um, that are taking care of other part departments and other parts of the home building process and the safety end. He sets those plans in place and then makes sure that those plans are being followed. And so, honestly, I can think of nobody better to just not only love us and direct us and help shepherd us, as a church body, but beyond that, he's just perfectly qualified to tackle this subject today that he's going to be tackling all about planning and following the plan that God is leading us to take. And so I know he's going to be a blessing as he shares the scriptures with you guys today. But hey, this is important too. Eric is not just in the theoretical side. He and Kendall uh, and their family, they're living it and they're living it out in their own kind of individual lives. Eric was back and forth with me. I told him, I begged him, and I'm outing him right now. Eric, you got to tell the story about the car, the plan to get it, and how it all got uh, executed because it's an encouragement, man. It's real life stuff, and it's the way that changes get made as we follow the plans that God gives us. So, Eric, you got to tell that story. So, here we go. We're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to read from God's Word. So, let me give you a quick background. Nehemiah was one of the exiles that was taken from Jerusalem and taken away in, in, in a uh, war. And so he was actually ascending the ranks and he became cupbearer to the king. That meant he literally tasted the wine as it was given to the king to make sure there was no poison in it and that, you know, kind of made sure that they were kind of tight. So these two men knew one another well. Unfortunately, the, the city walls and the things that were going on in Jerusalem had been torn down and basically were in a ruin. Nehemiah weeps and cries because he knows that God's city is lying in ruin and it is absolutely a shameful thing. He wants someone to do something but doesn't know who could do it. He begins to pray. That's what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're picking up in verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is in front of the king and he notices that he looks sad and he can't figure out what's going on. And he says, what's going on? This has got to be a broken heart. What's wrong? Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid in verse two, chapter two, verse two. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me so I set a time. And I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And if I may have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's royal forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel and by the temple and the city wall and the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates, gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. 
And Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. God bless you guys. I know y'all are going to have a great day in the word of God. We love you. Excited to see you guys next week. Don't miss and uh, y'all have a great rest of the service. See ya. Well, good morning again. Thank you, Pastor Randy, for that. I will be bringing you the message today. Yes, I'm extremely nervous about it. You guys pray for me. I know a bunch of you have already been praying for me, but I can use all I can get, all right? So uh, we will be talking about the journey, our teaching series we've been talking about the last several weeks. Pastor Randy has done an awesome job telling us things that we need to pick up on life's journey toward the purposes God has for us and things we need to put down before we embark on the journey. So before we get started too deep, let's go ahead and have our sermon intro video here. All right. So most of this series is based on a book by David Jeremiah called Forward, subtitled Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. So Pastor Randy's been taking that and giving us some details of it, but telling us exactly how to achieve God's purpose. So we're going to continue that discussion today, as Pastor Randy said, with planning and planning. So everybody knows we need to plan, but we're going to get a little more deeper on what God says about planning. First of all, you just read our kind of theme verse, Philippians 3, 13 to 14. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, it being that for which Christ took hold of me, as he says in a previous verse. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that is called a higher calling. And we all have a higher calling. So we're learning about the path that God has designed us to go on. Has he designed a path for you? If you're a believer in God, then yes, he has. You have a purpose, and the Bible is very clear about that. Each one of us were knitted in our mother's womb to have a purpose for God's kingdom and to do something amazing and make an impact in this world. And if you're thinking that, well, I can believe in God and be happy and die and go to heaven, you're right, but you're not achieving God's purpose for your life. And each one of you was designed specially to have one. So that's what we're looking for. You don't have to be a minister or a missionary or go to the ends of the earth to teach people about Jesus, although that is an amazing thing to do. You can be an, a minister of God right in your own home, in your own church, and in your own community. All right? So God has a purpose for you. And so what we need to do as believers is to try to understand what that purpose is and then set a plan and get God's help to get there. So that is what we're talking about today. We've been going through the acronym here on how to achieve God's purpose for your life. We talked about God's plan. This was last week. Pastor Randy told us about how to find and go down and, and, and achieve what God has planned for you. Two weeks ago, we talked about overcome, overcoming complications. Crazy stuff happens in life. How do you deal with it? How do you, you know, is God there? Is he a part of it? Is this change something that God wants or not? Then today, we're going to be talking about aiming, being intentional in your plan and your goal. And then later, we'll talk about learn, growing in competence and in character, because God doesn't send something in your life until you have the character to withstand it. And he's got to build that character in you first. And sometimes that's not easy to do. So sometimes when we're going through tough stuff, it's because God is preparing us to go through something later. And we won't know that until we do it. We look back and we see how amazing the God is that we serve. That happens to me all the time. And then service. We spent a couple of weeks talking about service, doing something for others' benefit. So goals is our acronym that we're going through in this teaching series. So today, let's talk about AIM, being intentional in your plan. All right, there's a joke I found out on the internet, probably a dad joke. Why were the Star Wars episodes in 4, 5, and 6 released before 1, 2, and 3, and 7, 8, and 9? 
Any ideas? <clears throat> because in charge of planning, Yoda was. Is that good? Is it good? I got just some giggles. Come on, I practiced that voice for like an hour. Because Yoda talks backwards, so the episodes went backwards. Okay, you get it. All right, you guys are with me. You're t- too smart for me anyways. All right. The best way to fail at something is to not make a plan. You guys know that's true, right? If you fail to plan, you can what? Plan to fail, right? So how do we plan? Well, you can be passionate. Passion is required to achieve your plans, but passion cannot replace planning. Don't let your uh, fish jump out of the bowl without a plan or somewhere to land. A lot of, you see a lot of businesses who somebody's very passionate about something and they embark on an adventure with no plan to succeed. Well, I'm passionate enough. It's going to work. I want it more. I'm going to win because I want it the most. Well, that doesn't guarantee success. That only guarantees that if you do win, it's by accident. That's not what you want. That's, the chances of that happening are so slim. So don't miss this. Determination is not a strategy. Our very first don't miss this. Remember that. Determination is not a strategy. Determination without a plan means you can only succeed by accident. All right, so we just discussed that. So we know we must have a plan. Here's the problem. Pastor Randy just talked last week about following God's plan. God sets a plan for us, and that's what we need to follow. So... Who sets the plan? Do we set the plan or do we just figure out what God's plan is? Does making our own plans mean we don't have faith in him and his plans? If we make our own plans to succeed in our marriage, in our finances, in our retirement, does it mean we're not trusting him? Sometimes you might think that might be true. If we look in Proverbs 16.3, It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Well, if God's establishing my plans, what do I need to establish plans for? In Psalm 143, 8, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. If God's just, we're asking him to show us which way to go, then Do we need to even determine for ourselves which way to go? Or do we just trust God and hope for the best? In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, God tells Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Man, God's telling us, don't think you're so hot. Who do you think you are making all these plans? I got you. Follow my plans. And even in Matthew, Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. This is one of my favorite verses, by the way, because, well, because of what it says. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That helps me sleep at night. Jesus told me not to worry about tomorrow. That's tomorrow's Eric's. The Eric of tomorrow has to worry about that, right? So it seems like we should trust in God and just not worry about anything. But is that what God's really saying? Let's look back at Proverbs 19.21. Because I think you know where I'm going with this. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. The Lord's purpose is what will be achieved no matter what our plans are. Even if we make the plans, it's God's purpose that he's trying to get us to. So let's look at some Bible characters and see how this works out in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Joshua. Here we have a picture of Joshua making plans when he was invading the city of Jericho, the promised land. He's leading the Israelites into the promised land, and they have to fight the people in the city of Jericho. There's huge walls around the city they have to invade. God told them to. Um, I don't have a photograph of it because, uh, well, they didn't have photographs, so I had to find a, a children's picture. But to me, it, it, 
helps envision what's going on here. So Joshua is the protege of Moses. He was a strategic leader. He was called to lead the people of Israel into the promised land of the city of Jericho, and God gave him a strategy. He handed it over to him. He could have just zapped the walls down and said, here you go, Joshua, and the Israelites go on in. But he didn't. He gave them a specific plan, and they followed it. They marched around the city once each day for six days, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They blew trumpets, but the soldiers were to keep silent. On the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times, and at Joshua's command, the men gave a great shout, and the walls fell down. You guys remember that story? God hands him a plan. Do this, and it will work. And that's what he did, and it worked. Now, have any of you heard from heaven on exactly what to do to make something work? I've never heard God in an audible voice. I know he speaks to me through his word and through other people in my life. But I've never been handed a God-given plan to succeed. And I don't know if you have either. What if God doesn't speak from heaven? Then how do you achieve your purpose and the purpose he wants? Well, let's look at another Bible character, Nehemiah, as Randy just read. Nehemiah was God's appointed leader. And he used a God-ordained strategy. God laid it on his part to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They had been destroyed in the Babylonian exile, and it was very sad, very shameful. And so he went from the city of Susa to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. But after a lot of prayer, he is the one who came up with the plan. It was not handed to him by God. Although the purpose of what he was about to do was handed to him by God. So he came up with the plan. He asked for the king's protection and was miraculously granted the king's protection. The king had no um, interest in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. But because his cupbearer wanted to do it, God intervened and miraculously gave Nehemiah not just permission to do it, but an escort to the city to be safe, not just an escort, but the resources. He gave him a letter to go to another king and get all the timbers that he needed from the forest. So God miraculously made this thing happen that God put on his heart to happen. But Nehemiah was the one that came up with the plan. In the end, they rebuilt the wall. He split up all the work. He said, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Split it up among the families of Israel or of Jerusalem and they rebuilt the wall in record time, in 52 days. 52 days, which is remarkable today, even. Have you ever seen a construction project go in 52 days? No? Maybe if they built shovels that stood up by themselves, then they wouldn't have to all stand around holding the shovels up. Right? Save a million dollars. Um, so, pretty incredible. It was successful because of three things. Because... He knew God's purpose. Prayerfully, he determined what God's purpose was. I think we have a slide for this one. Nehemiah's prayerfully made a plan, and then he gave God an opportunity to work. He's the one that found out what his purpose was, made a plan to get there, and then God showed up miraculously. And that's how we are to live our lives. God really does want us to make plans, to succeed, to do the right thing, to build our life spiritually, to build our life financially, to have success, to provide for our families and our kids, to have a successful work life, to build ourselves internally for self-improvement, to read books and to make ourselves better and better people, to better engage with those around us. You can't learn everything you you need to know by just existing. You have to pour into yourself, and that takes a plan. So we see Jesus even doubling down on building a plan in Luke 14, 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Who doesn't first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? In Psalm 24, may he give you the desires of your heart. And make all of your plans succeed.
man, that's cool. When I'm sitting down and building a plan for something, may God give you the desire of your heart and make your plans succeed, whatever they are. So that brings us to our big idea. Achieving God's purposes starts with intentional prayer and planning. It takes both. Not one, not the other. You don't pray and cross your fingers for things to succeed and happen by accident and for God to just miraculously make your life good. It takes seeking God's purpose for your life and then planning on how you're going to achieve those things. Laying out a path. So let's get real. How in the world do we do that? Let's get practical. Something I love about Pastor Randy is he always gives us the theoretical, which is great and important, something we need to feed our souls. And then he gives us steps to take. Here's how you do it. Step one, step two, and step three. And I love step-by-step instructions. All right? I'm not that guy that builds without instructions. Tell me how to do it, and I'll do it. So... That's what we're going to look at. We'll look at that in just a moment. Let me tell you a little background. Pastor Randy gave you some background on my job. Let me make a couple corrections there. Um, I, I do work for Lennar Homes. I work in environmental compliance, not safety. We have another safety person that does that. I work in environmental compliance, and I do have 17 indirect reports, but no direct reports. So let me tell you how that happened. I started out of college working for a consulting firm, helping construction companies comply with the environmental regulations. And not to nerd out on what I do here real quick, but when it rains on a construction site, it washes pollutants off-site, okay, off into the rivers and everything, all the chemicals and dirt and everything else that's on a construction site. So there's regulations that are required to keep all those pollutants on-site. So that's what I do is I teach and help construction companies do that. And then as In 2004, I moved to Houston, opened that consulting office there. We landed Lennar as a client. I was invited to join Lennar as a kind of an in-house consultant, helping Lennar comply. Lennar continues to grow. And so, and then later, Pastor Randy says, hey, Eric, I need you to read scripture. And so I got up here and I read scripture and that's it. And I got back down and tried to stop shaking out of nervousness. Um, And then he continued to force me, to, to ask me. To, to do those things um, and, you know, to help teach some of the kids and the teens and get more and more involved, go to Mexico with them and all that kind of stuff. And it built my confidence. I really can speak in front of people who appreciate being spoken to, like from this position. Um, you're here to hear from us up here. So it's not like you're here to condemn me when I speak and mess up. You're on my side. And he convinced me of that. And that's very very um, encouraging. Um, and then also Peter Robinson, if you guys remember Peter, he hasn't been here in a little bit, but he really poured into me and a group of others through lean business thinking and gave us a class on that. And it was amazing. You were there. So right at, during that class, I went for a promotion and got it. And I went for that because I had the confidence from other people pouring into me. And which, is, which I extremely appreciate. But also it was me responding and following through on them pouring into me. So, so that's where I am. I'm regional environmental manager for Lennar. I, I have been in charge of the environmental compliance side of things in up to five states at one time. Now, right now I'm just over all of Texas, but we're about to grow into Oklahoma. So that'll be cool. Um, but what we do at our job, I don't know if you guys know production building, but it is, we move very fast, we build a lot of homes, and we grow, and we provide homes for a lot of people. You guys have seen how fast this neighborhood grew. We've got all these construction companies building homes as quickly as possible because there's a huge demand for single-family homes in this country. And so our company wants to build fast, provide the American dream, for as many people as possible, and make money doing it. Make a profit, and we can all you know, succeed and go home and make a salary and feed our families. The problem is, with environmental compliance, sometimes we go too fast, and we cause pollution or cause a problem. And so my company hired people like me to keep us on the straight and narrow. We're going to allow our company to grow and do 
you know, construction as fast as possible, but we have to have people in place to keep us between the lines. And so we call those guardrails. So we've got 17 people in Texas that are designed just to allow the company to put the pedal to the metal and go as fast as possible, but we are the ones that keep them in line. We are the guardrails, and sometimes the company hits a guardrail, and we say, whoa, stop. Stop construction. Get this issue fixed. We've got to do the right thing and be compliant. And that hurts. You get scratches on your car when you hit a guardrail, right? And so that's the idea. It's easy for me to understand the concept of guardrails because we literally teach that to our people that are in these other cities doing construction and headbutting against our own land developers and construction people because it's our job to keep people inside the lanes, inside the boundary of success, and to not run the car off into the ditch. But we can use this analogy for guardrails to apply to all kinds of areas of our life. Pastor Randy did a whole sermon series on it. Guardrails are how you keep the car from running off the ditch. How you keep your life between the lines of success. Whether that be something in your spiritual life, in your personal life, with your kids, with your extended family, your in-laws. You put things in place so that when this happens, then that happens. You already have a plan in place for if something happens in my family, I know what to do about it. I've already prepared a plan in place for what is going to occur. And so it's a great analogy. In Proverbs 3.6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight, like a guardrail, right in between. Acknowledge him. That's how you do it. You seek godly counsel from godly people. If it's your marriage or your relationship or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or your fiancé, seek godly counsel from godly people on what to do, on how to approach this adventure you're about to go on, and then set those guardrails in place. If this happens, then we're going to do this. Don't go too fast and too far without following the plan. And stop occasionally and make sure you're still on the plan. This goes for spiritual life too. Uh, Randy used the, the uh, analogy of medications. Anybody had a, an infection or a cold or something and you are prescribed antibiotics? Are you like me and you take the antibiotics a couple days and you're like, man, this is cool, I'm good, I'm fine, it's, I'm better. And you forget or you just intentionally stop? I'm going to save the rest of these antibiotics for later, for next time I'm sick, I'll take those. That's not the way to do it. You're not all the way better yet. The doctor will tell you, and it says on the bottle, do not stop taking this until it's all the way gone. Right? Anybody else guilty of that? All right. Just about everybody. <laughs> cool. We're all on the same page. We're all equal at the foot of the cross, all right? And, and in our doctor's office. All right? So that's the same thing intentionally. We have to set a plan to follow all the way through. So I'm just guilty of the medication thing in my personal life too. If I want to heal my marriage and, and, and have the best marriage I can, I'll have some great time with my wife and we'll be on the same page and then I'll relax and let off the gas. And then cool, we're great for today. And then a week later, we're not great anymore. Or you have a great relationship with your kids because you had a, an event you went to together and you had a lot of fun and you talked, and you were close, and it was fantastic. And then Monday happens, and the stresses of work and life and everything else get in between everything else, and it's a mess again. And a month goes by, and you're going, wait, what happened? We were so close. Who are you now? I barely know you anymore. What are we going to have to do to get back on track? And you do this zigzag out of the ditch and back onto the road and out into the ditch and back onto the road. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been closer to God before than I am right now. And I've been further from God than I am right now. I've run my spiritual life into the ditch and gotten back on track and run off into the ditch and gotten back on track. And so that's what we're talking about. 
putting these guardrails in place to keep you on track. Seeking godly counsel from godly people. If you're a man, you need to have a men's group. You need to have men, godly men in your life that you can rely on and have real discussions with on how to build and stay on the spiritual path. If you're a woman, you need to have people that are like-minded, with godly counsel that can tell you things that ladies tell each other. I'm sure you know. All right. Intentionally set about the plan and the path and then follow through. So this is important. We need to know what to pick up and what to leave. All right, here it is, step by step. What do you leave behind? Impulses. Impulses of the moment. You're going to get so passionate right now. I'm going to make a super strong decision right now because this is serious. Is it really? Have you prayed about it yet? Have you slept on it? This financial opportunity won't be here tomorrow. That's probably not true. You've got to buy this car. It goes up $1,000 tomorrow. Nope, that's a lie. If that's true, then that's not the car God intends for you to have. It's only through godly counsel and prayer that we make these decisions. The other thing to leave behind are mistakes of the past. I don't know about you, but I definitely have some issues of guilt that will impact my future decisions. You can't change it. You can't change the path you've been on. You can't change the ditches you've run in before, whether they were dirt roads or asphalt. You can change where you're going forward. And in Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. It says right there, there's no condemnation for what you've done in the past if you are in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer and you've confessed and repented, there is no condemnation. So why hold that? Why bring it with you? Why bring it with you as baggage? What do you take? Pray for wisdom. Pick, up, pick this up on your path as you're going. Put down the baggage of the past and pick up a Bible. Pick up a prayer life. Praying to God for whatever you're going through on a daily basis. I pray for parking spots when I go to the grocery store. (laughs) Not that I'm perfect, and I definitely don't pray enough. But the point is, pray for wisdom. Pray for everything in your life. God wants to be involved. He wants a relationship with you. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. It says right there, commit to the Lord whatever you do. God, I'm going to work today, and I want you to bless these activities. God, this is for you to use me to provide for my family or for my future. God, bless my marriage. It's so important that my wife and I have a healthy, stable, productive marriage, not just for us, but for our kids, for everybody around us. And it's a blessing to them when they see us working on our marriage. It's not weakness. It's planning ahead. It's investing when we work on our marriage. To see me humble myself and apologize to my wife, it's not something I do easily, but it's so cool for my kids to see that. Like, I want them to see that, to see that it's okay. You're not being weak if you apologize for something. That's called being a man. Being what God inspired you to, or it wants you to be. So pray for wisdom, and then number two, make a plan. Whether that's your marriage, your relationships, your money, your kids, your work, what areas are we weak at and we need a road ahead? Make a plan. Set achievable goals. So there are some tools I'd like to share with you to how, for how you can make a plan that have been really impactful to me. There's Thousands of tools out there for self-development to make your life better that you can use to set a plan for yourself. Here's some that have really inspired and changed my life. A book 
called Love and Respect. Pastor Randy did a whole sermon series on this a couple of years ago during one of our February time frames. And this will teach you how men and women think. If you are struggling to understand the decisions that your husband makes and the way he treats you and the things that come out of his mouth, this book will help you understand his mindset. And the same goes for men. If you're going, what? I, I, you're, I'm having an argument with her and I tried to hug her and she shoved me off. She doesn't want that right now. That's not what she needs at that moment. And this book will help you understand the difference between love and respect as it pertains to men and women and has really helped us avoid a lot of arguments in our life. Another one is the five love languages. Hopefully you guys have heard about this. All right, this will tell you uh, if you do a self-evaluation of yourself, you will be able to tell your significant other, I don't speak that language. My wife doesn't speak hug and hold and touch and rub the back and, you know, constantly touching. I do. That's my language. I am right up that alley. If I'm upset about something, she can walk over and put her hand on my arm or on my back and everything goes away. Every stress, every anger, because I feel that love. I feel she loves me through her touch. But for me, if she's upset about something and I come and I rub her shoulders or touch her, she's like, get off of me. What are you doing? It's not her language. Oh, that's right. You need me to sit down beside you and talk and understand what you're going through. And what she doesn't need is for me to solve her problem because that's another language I speak. Is, well, let me fix it for you. I'll tell you exactly what to do. She doesn't need that. Anybody else? Same? <laughs> she doesn't need that. She needs me just to understand what she's going through and walk through it with her. That's it. Quality time is her love language. This book will change your life. You don't even need to read the book, honestly. This is such a common thing. You can just you know, look out on the internet and get a nice summary and, and just make, make a really good understanding to change your life. There we go. There's another issue that touches everybody's life, and that is, does anybody know? Touches every part of your life and can cause great stress or great success? Money. Money. Money is mentioned more times than any other word in the Bible, especially by Jesus. It's mentioned more than love. Can you believe that? Not because it's more important, because God knows our heart. He knows that we are constantly seeking success and money and possessions for the well-being of us and our family, but he knows that that can dive deep into the heart. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? So, this is a book that changed our life, and many of you in here, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace. Financial Peace, if I say those words... If you haven't been through this class yet, think about those words. Financial peace. Those words don't go together. That's like jumbo shrimp. Or civil war. Crash landing. <laughs> Paper towel. <laughs> I got a bunch of them. Pretty ugly. Steel wool. Or my favorite, soft rock. Oxymorons that go together. Financial peace. And he does that on purpose because you really can have financial peace, but it's not easy to obtain. It takes setting guardrails and going down a path and setting a plan for your life. Here's something to learn, just in case I haven't convinced you that finances aren't very peaceful. 41% of couples with consumer debt argue mostly about money compared to 25% of debt-free couples. So, you want to take some arguments out of your marriage? Pay down your debt. Weekly arguments over finances increase the possibility of divorce by 30% over those who rarely argue about finances. All right? A couple more. 
The possibility of divorce increases by 45% in couples where one of the partners believes the other one spends money irresponsibly. So we call that the concept of the nerd and the free spirit in Financial Peace University. As you will find out if you join us, the free spirit is the one that doesn't want to be tethered to a plan. And the nerd is the one who wants to responsibly put us on a plan. And so we'll talk in our class exactly how to go through that peacefully and make an arrangement where you both agree. 41% of Gen Xers divorced as a result of money. Related Money-related disagreements compared to 29% of boomers. So what that tells me is money is becoming even more and more a point of contention in marriages. All right, and one more for you. How much do couples fight about money? It depends on how much debt you have. Isn't that interesting? If you've got more than $50,000, then 48% of you say it's a top issue. If you've got less than 10 grand in debt, just a quarter of you say it's a top issue you fight about with your spouse. You want to fight less? Get out of debt. It's probably not completely that simple, but it's definitely an impact. Money can cause stress in all areas of your life, not just your marriage. These happen to be about marriage. What about with your kids? No, we can't go to Disney World. We can't afford it because we've got to pay for this new car. What about work? I, I would love to go to the ball game with you, son, but I've got to work tonight. They cut my hours. Or your marriage. Honey, I'm working late tonight. Are you really working late? Yes, I'm working late. It's not because I don't want to be away from you. It's because I want to provide for you. And they don't understand that all the time. Dave Ramsey says, you've got to tell your money what to do or it will leave. So how do we build peace? We make a plan. We make a budget. Oh, the dreaded B word. It's just a cash flow plan. It's a budget. Guys, if you're not living on a budget, this is how you build peace in your financial plan. I still live on a budget. I've did financial peace 15 years ago. Still live on a budget. You have to. Doesn't matter how much money you make. If you don't tell your money where to go through a budget, it will leave. And you will not know where it went. And you'll be left with too much month at the end of the money. All the time. So that's where I'll tell you a little bit about our story. When we got married, I had, I don't know, $12,000 in credit card debt that Kendall still reminds me of every often, so often. So we deal with that. I get a job making $28,000 a year, and she's working at a daycare, which is just barely making it. I mean, the money stress, you guys have been there, right, when you started out? You know the stress. Uh, you can't make rent this month. You can't buy gas this month. We got to, you know, eat hamburger helper. Well, I don't know how to cook yet. You know, all of those kinds of things. Honey, I'm going to make fried chicken. Okay, well, let's start a grease fire while we're at it. You know, learning and doing all that stuff. Tons of stress in your life. We were there. I was the nerd, though, and she was the free spirit. So what that meant was all I do is I come up with a plan, and she uh, spends the money, and then I yell at her about it. And we did that for several years, and it wasn't working. Too much stress in the marriage. We have a baby. We can't afford diapers. Like, I'm trying to pay down my credit card debt, and she's spending money adding to the credit card because she thinks that that's better that it doesn't hit our account right now. She's like, oh, I did you a favor. I put it on the credit card so we don't have to pay it all right away. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm trying to pay this sucker down and you're adding to it. So we were not on the same page. We were not. And so it led to a lot of money fights. Well, I was introduced to Dave Ramsey at work one day right after I bought a brand new car, which is not good. Um, but we ended up getting on Dave's plan, taking Financial Peace University back in 2006. Uh, we paid off $48,000 in debt in about 40 months. So not, you know, some people probably in here have even done better than that. Um, but after we did that, um, 
life was way better. Life without a car payment is good. Just taking that stress out of your life. So Randy promised, or made me promise to tell the story. We did just buy a new car um, a few months ago. There's our new Buick Enclave. Well, new to us. It's a 2018. Um, how did we do that? It is paid for. We did that by delayed gratification. And that's a lesson a lot of Americans need to think. We were having that discussion this morning in the cafe about how we like to live a microwave lifestyle. And I said, are you preaching? It's a rest. But because uh, that's exactly the point. We live in a microwave lifestyle. I want it right now. And boy, they will give you one right now if you walk in and sign your name. Right. But we knew that that would be detrimental to our plan. We've got a plan to build financial success, to pay for college, to do retirement, to do all these things. And a car puts a huge speed bump in all of that. A, a car payment does. And so we saved up. We kept our old cars. They're both of our old cars were 13 years old before we saved up enough to get a new car. And so we would save $400 every month into an account. And then the stimulus happened. So that really padded the account. And then all of our tax refund money, and we build it all up and build it all up, and we were able to put, um, well, we could have put about 90% down on the car. It was $33,000, uh, but they don't take personal checks at dealerships. They only take debit cards, and we had a limit on how much we could swipe per day, so I'm on the phone with the bank trying to get that limit increased, so we ended up 50% down, and then we paid the rest of it off in a couple of months. So um, that is the story of how you can buy a new car and pay it off almost immediately, if not right away. And I definitely don't tell you that to say, look what we did. I say that to say, look what you can do with a plan. So if you would like to take part in this, we have Financial Peace University, Thursday nights, beginning February 24th. It will be on Zoom. You can sign up today if you would like. We do have a code. Do we have that code? You can go to the website right there, and that will allow you to join our class. I do we know the, what cost it is? Is it it's 150 or Awesome. So 14-day free trial. If you would like to sign up with the church through this link, it's $99. Otherwise, it's $129. And there, there is a financial investment there for your books and things, uh, workbooks. But also because if it's totally free to everybody, you're going to have a lot of people not take it serious. But if you're invested in it, then you take it more serious. And this is not something that's going to help you if you don't put in any time and effort into it. If you're thinking, yeah, I'll check this out and see. I think I've got a pretty good plan in place, but I'll check it out and see what they got. It's not going to work for you because this is work. This is life-changing. This is completely turning your financial situation upside down for the better in the long run. And if you're fed up with living your life in and out of the ditch, then this is for you. If you think you've got it pretty good and you want to learn some tips and tricks, it's not going to make a difference for you. You've got to be ready. You've got to be fed up. So just a, a little bit about what we will be getting into there. But it's not just going to fix your current situation, help you pay bills and make more money, have more money in your budget. It's also going to change your kids. If your kids watch you responsibly save and live on a budget, live on a plan, set limits for yourself and see how that makes a difference in your life, then they're going to be inspired to do that in their families. And they're going to teach their kids about responsibly managing money. And that is called building a legacy. And you can be the one that starts that for your family and your kids and your grandkids. Proverbs 13:22 says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. And you can do that. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. All right? So what if you say, hey, Eric, this all sounds good. I, got, I can build some plans, but I've got a lot of plans to build. 
I got marriage issues. I need to heal my marriage. I need to, I need to grow with my spouse in the right direction more consistently. I've got kids that are following the wrong thing out in the world. I got to get them reined in. I got to get them introduced to God, get them on a good spiritual path. And my finances are in disorder. I've got student loans and car payments, and I'm barely making it every month. And I make all this money, but it all just goes right out the door. Where do I start? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Discipline in one area of your life creates more discipline in other areas too. When your children see you making these decisions, it impacts them. When your spouse sees you responsibly taking action, putting a plan to heal your marriage, they will respond too. Not just that, you put your life on a budget, somehow you start putting your diet on a budget. It happens all the time. When people join Financial Peace University, there's a side effect that occurs and they lose weight. Believe it or not, it's true. You get discipline in one area of your life and it builds discipline in other areas of your life. But warning, warning, you will be unsure. When you know what the right thing to do is, you will not know exactly what path to take. And that's okay. Assuming that you have a plan in place, what happens if something goes wrong? Something might go wrong. You might run your car into a ditch again. It happens. Let's look at Acts chapter 16. I think we just have it up here. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. This is the western edge of Turkey. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they come to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not let them, would not allow them to. Wonder what that was like. So they passed into, so they went down to Troas, and then verse 30, uh, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God changed their plan. He put a big old roadblock right in front of their plan where God already told them to go. He said, nope, you're not going to do it. You're going to go to this other city. And God did that through a vision. So here's the cool part. You're not doing anything alone. God is with you, helping you on your God-ordained path. God stopped them in their tracks, put them on a new path to achieve God's purposes. It wasn't just for fun. It wasn't a derailment. It was a turn, a turn in the road to achieve God's purposes. And that might happen, might happen to us. Don't miss this. Our plans are under the protection of his purpose. Whenever you have prayed and, and seen what God wants you to do, and a roadblock occurs, your plans might need to change, and they're under the protection of his purpose. When you're walking with his purpose in your life, you might get a huge blow to your plan and rest assured his plan is sovereign. It's a good thing. If you hit a roadblock and you've prayerfully set a plan to achieve his purpose and there's a roadblock, it's a good thing. Doesn't sound like it would be. It's not just a good thing, it's a God thing. God's changing your plans. No, you don't need to go right there. You need to go right over here. And so we're going to turn you. And it may not be easy. It may be confusing. But it happens. Your plans are backed up by His plan. And His power is guiding your plan. The creator of the universe who created this world and all the, the entire universe by speaking them into existence and created you and breathed breath of life into mankind and created you and knit you in your mother's womb and set you out on a purpose in your life, 
He, that same power is helping you achieve your plan. That same power is sovereign over everything you can come up with. Every plan you can establish to achieve his purpose, he's right there with you with the same power that put his finger on the earth and made it exist. It's the same power. That's amazing. To know that I can pray and talk directly to the same God that built this world is amazing. His power and his plans are unstoppable. His power is, there's nothing that you can do to, to put a roadblock into his power and his plan. God obviously expects us and obligates us to plan. He's given us the principles and the examples of how to plan, but he makes it clear there we are not to trust our own plans and to ignore the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's only after we seek the heart of God and his direction that we can establish the plans that are pleasing to him to achieve his purpose. After that happens, then we can rest assured that his unstoppable power is guaranteeing that his purpose will be achieved. So here's the big question for today. In what area of your life do you need discipline? What area of your life do you need discipline? And where do you keep running off the road? If you're like me, it might be more than one area. And what do you do about it? I apply this message by picking one area of your life that needs discipline. You don't have to pick them all. You don't have to solve the world. You don't have to fix everything in your life right now. Because remember, the discipline in one area of your life will make a difference in other areas of your life too. But pick one, and let's focus on it. Let's seek God's wisdom through prayer and godly counsel. Talk to somebody who's been there. If you want to get discipline in your marriage, talk to somebody who's been married a long time. If you want to get discipline in your finances, talk to somebody who's had financial discipline, who makes a lot of money, but not just blows it, who actually has a plan and is working it. And make sure it's godly counsel. That's real important. Make a, and then make a plan in that area and get started on that plan now. It's not too late. You may say, oh, I'm already retired. It's too late to build a financial plan. You may say, I'm already 40 years into my marriage or I'm on my third or fourth marriage. I don't, it's too late for me. It's not going to make a difference. You're wrong. God's got a purpose for your life. And if you're breathing, you still have a purpose for your life. It's never too late. All right, church family, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that we can look in there and see how you intend us to live our life, how you intend us to achieve your purposes. Thank you for loving us enough to set a purpose for us. You want us to be impactful in this world and not to be little faithful robots running around. We, we, we admire the fact that you want to know us and to achieve something through us. So God, give us insight. Stir our hearts to seek you and your wisdom and your counsel and areas of our life that need attention, that need discipline. God, and show us the path on how to get there and give us your unstoppable power to achieve your purpose. In your name we pray, amen. In the beginning, there was an unstoppable plan. An arrangement that was so outrageous that 
all nature was created just to accomplish its ends. And the whole vastness of uncreation, the whole expanse of non-existence, couldn't impede our insuppressible God from creating a universe out of his simple insistence. For that which may look like an obstacle is really just proof that our God is unstoppable. And ours, ours is a history filled with obstacles. From the lies of the serpent to whom God promised his heel, to the fruit of the tree that he promised would kill. From the murderous Cain that brought forth Abel's crying blood to the worldwide epidemic of sin that called down the flood. From the massive Red Sea that stood in Israel's way to the chariots that pursued her so that she may be slain. From the mocking giant that stood between David and his crown to the giant walls of Jericho that without a touch came tumbling down. From wild beasts like Daniel's lions and Jonah's enormous fish, <laughs> nothing can stop our God from doing all that he may wish. Because that which may look like an obstacle is really just proof that our God is unstoppable. And nowhere is this truth more true than in the truth of Emmanuel. Because it truly is incalculable to try to count the number of plans that had to take place for God to be born as a babe in Bethlehem. But neither Mary or the manger or Herod or his wise men were outside the woven fabric of God's forbearing intention. From the womb that bore him, to the hands that raised him. From the coins that bought him, to the lips that betrayed him. From the cords that bound him, to the crowd that abased him. From the whips that scourged him, to the crown that debased him. From the nails that held him, to the cross that slay him. Everything that man and Satan could do to subdue him was only and always part of God's plan to do through him. Because even in the crucifixion, that which may look like an obstacle is really just proof that our God is unstoppable. For even as he lay in the grave, God's power became uncomfortable. Because death laying claim to our God is absolutely unsuitable. So he altered the unalterable, revoked the irrevocable, made vulnerable the invulnerable. God made death and his grave the main stage for his most remarkable surprise. He made the end of life its beginning through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. So now, neither death, sin, nor Satan, not man or the wars he wages, not powers, leaders, or thrones, not martyrdom, tortures, or woes, not our apathy, greed, or hypocrisy, not the plans or strongholds of the enemy. Nothing can shake the unshakable inevitability of our God's mighty intent. Because anything that even seems with God's plans to contend are really just the means by which he is accomplishing his ends. So may we never forget to ponder the imponderable fact that whatever God plans is completely unavoidable.
because that which may look like an obstacle is really just proof that our God is unstoppable. That is powerful. We serve an unstoppable God, amen? All right, so we will uh, put our plans in place and come up with our God-ordained plans to achieve His purposes in our life. All right, thank you for your time and your attention today. Sorry about going over a couple of minutes. Definitely appreciate your patience. Thanks for joining online. I appreciate you joining. Come join us next week here in, in church. It's, uh, you will be blessed by it, and you'll be glad you did. All right, church family, let's say it together. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you guys. Love you.